On this blessed Sunday, we read the passage about the man born blind from John chapter 9. And this is, of course, a very well-known passage that we read on the sixth Sunday of Great Lent. But before we begin our discussion, let's talk about the context in which these events took place. So if we go back to chapter 8, the end, the ending of chapter 8, the last two verses of chapter 8, we find our Lord teaching in the temple, and he says to the Jews, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And of course this meant, when he says I am, this means that he's claiming that he is God. And so the Jews, it says, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And then in chapter 9, it says, and as he was passing by, he finds a man born blind. And so we find our Lord walking away from this situation without any concern, without any hurry. And as he's passing by, he sees a man who was born blind from birth. And he takes the time to heal him. And he does it in all calmness of heart. He spends some time there doing a deed of mercy. And then, of course, the disciples ask him a very interesting question. Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And our Lord actually gave him a very interesting or very strange or odd answer. He says first, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And he leaves it at that. And then he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. I think... The disciples probably wanted to say, would you care to elaborate? Are you just going to leave it at that? And of course, our Lord could have opened up all the mysteries to them and he could have explained to the disciples the mystery of suffering and the mystery of sin and and exactly why this man was born blind. But he didn't. He says, I must work. He certainly could have explained everything, but his answer was, I must work. St. Cyril of Alexandria comments on this and he says, Why leaving that which suits the time do you hasten to learn things beyond the capacity of man? It is not a time for such curiosity, says he, but for work and intense zeal. For I deem it more becoming passing by such questions to execute zealously God's commands. Basically, our Lord is telling the disciples, Don't worry about that. Worry more about working zealously to execute God's commands. So we may talk, we may argue, we may debate over words, and we think that if we ask hypothetical questions, or if we try to search mysteries out and debate over them, that that's what we're meant, that that's what we're meant to do. But our Lord says, no, I must work. Our Lord says, get to work. He says, I have a nobler call to follow as part of my plan for your salvation. And our Lord and Savior came into this world with a purpose. And that purpose was going to be achieved through work. St. Cyril goes on to say, and this is a longer quote, so let's just focus on what's highlighted. He says first that the Jews were foolishly entangled in unsound doctrines. Because the Jews at the time believed a number of things. 
that a soul, before it's united with a body, exists, and it could have sinned before the time of it being united with a body, which of course is not right. And of course they also believe that God was so cruel that he would punish an innocent child for the sins of their parents. But then our Lord changes the whole question through his answer. And he tells the disciples that it is more becoming for them to strive to love the things that please God and to leave off pursuing a search into what was altogether beyond them. So some of these things are just beyond us. And it's worth our time instead to invest our time in something else. And what is that thing? Well, our Lord says the time is slipping away. The time for work will slip away from those who do nothing unless they devote all their zeal to the wish to do well while they are in the flesh in the world. Again, the word zeal. In fact, our Lord worked with a very, very holy, holy zeal when he walked on earth as a man. He came to find the lost sheep to restore the fallen. And it's because he loves us so much that he was not willing to see us perish until he came to work. In John 13:1, we read, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. So he loved us so much that he was going to keep going till his work was completed, till he could say on the cross, it is finished. And on the cross, our Lord said, it is finished. He wasn't going to be passive in the face of all the human misery and pain and suffering. In fact, our Lord inserts himself right into the heart of human misery and pain and suffering so that he can transform it by his work. In John 11.52, we read that Christ gathered together in one those that were scattered abroad. This is all, all the work that our Lord did. He did many things. He was always seeking the lost and the fallen and restoring them. Why? Because he's a great redeemer. He's a great redeemer of mankind, and his goal is our salvation. And if he's going to achieve our salvation, our redemption... He's going to have to work because it won't be accomplished without work. St. Jacob of Sirug actually has an amazing and beautiful contemplation or poem on the night that our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and blood and sweat came pouring out of him. This one I think is worth reading all the way through. For a sick person, sweat is a good sign because it is an indication of the recovery of health. Jesus sweat as he worked to rescue his creation from Hades. Adam was afflicted with the sickness of death. Jesus came and sweat that Adam may have rest from his affliction. Through the Lord's sweat, health was restored to a sick servant, Adam, sweat as he worked for his bread but his sweat, which was mingled with sin, was not enough to bring healing. So Jesus came and sweat for all to save us all. If you want to go look this up, it's easier to find in Arabic. Um,
So on the night our Lord was betrayed, He's sweating in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does this sweat achieve for us? It brings healing to all mankind. Because when a sick person breaks their fever, they start to sweat. And sweat is a good sign. But Adam could not heal himself. Adam was told by God that you're going to sweat and toil, and in the sweat and toil, you're going to eat your bread. You're going to cultivate the earth. But it will bring thorns for you. Because your sweat is the work of sin. It's because you have sinned. But our Lord who knew no sin, His sweat brought rest to all mankind. His sweat brought healing to all mankind. His work brought rest to all of us. And this is why the church cries out and says in Holy Week, Thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the majesty forever. Because by His work and by His toil, He's victorious. He overcomes. So we come back then to our current situation. We have to avoid unproductive debates. And we have to instead focus on action. Debates like, this is my favorite debate, how can God judge someone living on an isolated island who has never heard of Jesus Christ? These are meaningless debates. Splitting hairs and debating hypothetical scenarios are just a waste of time because the answer to all of these questions is get to work. The Lord says, go to work. A better question to ask may be, if I were to see a child fall into a swimming pool, would I not be compelled to go in and fetch that child out of the pool? Or would I stand by the pool and wonder, how could this child have been left unattended? Where are his parents? I wonder if he's wearing a swimming suit. What kind of clothes is he going to wear once we get him out of the pool? All these things are meaningless at the time. It's time to jump into the pool and fetch the child. So the answer to these types of questions has always been and will always be, do God's work. And we know the value of hard work. We see it in the secular world and we see it in ourselves and in the lives of others. And we appreciate it and we really value it. We admire when we see somebody who comes from nothing and works their way up the corporate ladder, for example, or starts a successful business, comes from behind and ends up with riches. We have to embrace the same value of hard work, but for ourselves in our own spiritual lives and for the salvation of others. Why? Because we are called to be active in our faith and not just passive spectators. There's no such thing as a Christian who is just passive and is not working. A Christian who is, act, who is not active is a sad, sad state. It's a sad situation because every and any Christian can work. No matter the gender, no matter the age, no matter the life situation. If God has given us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, then we have to work. Then it's time for us to work. Our Lord said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. So do we feel as if we must work? Do we feel the same passion and compulsion to work for the salvation of others? If not, 
If not, let us then ask the Lord to give us the same passion, the same drive, the same urge to work for his kingdom. Let us ask him to show us the work that he would want us to do and let us give ourselves fully to the service. We are called to be his followers. And if we are worthy of that title, we must be compelled. We must want, and we must seek and strive and be driven to be weighted with his burden. To work like he worked. Remember that our Lord in Matthew 11.30 said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want an easy job? Do God's work. Because the work in and of itself is rewarding. You'll find that as you dedicate yourself to working for God, that the work itself is the wage. That it's rewarding in and of itself. God highly values the work of faith and labor and love done for Him. If we don't keep doing God's work, what is our identity then and what is our purpose? Because that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to work for the salvation of others and be the light of the world and bring glory to God. If the world cannot mark us as Christians, if the world cannot say, yes, these people are different from us, If the world cannot distinguish our behavior from worldly behavior, then that's sad. Then there's a problem. Then our identities have been diluted and our identities are being dissolved. And you know what? If our identities are being diluted or dissolved, that means we're doing the exact opposite of what our Lord told us to do in Matthew, which is put a lamp on a lampstand and not under a basket. But if our identities are being diluted, then we're taking that lamp and we're putting it under a basket instead of on a lampstand. And what happens to the home? Well, our homes then no longer shine with God's presence and truth. Which means then that as a result, God's word, God's holiness, God's power, God's salvation, God's light does not flow out from our homes to the community, to others, because the home has become so darkened. And when homes become darkened, guess what? The city also is darkened. And the city that is on a hill becomes hidden in the night. And the night is when you need the city to be lit. Because the light is needed during times of sin and difficulty. Now the church cannot be mistaken for any earthly or worldly institution. It is the city that is on a hill that is shining Christ's light into the world in order to save people. But... If Christians turned away from their purpose and from their identity, they are trying then to keep that city hidden. They're trying to keep the church hidden from the world. How many times have we heard of someone say, I had no idea there was something called the Coptic Orthodox Church. And I bet you if that person were to come in here, they would probably think that this is something very strange, very odd. What are you guys doing here? And I bet if they stick around a little longer they may start to taste and smell and see and experience God's love, God's power, and God's light. But if we turn away from our purpose, if we turn away from our identity, then we are not going to bring people to church. And that's what we are meant to do. And our homes will also be darkened. And nevertheless, our Lord, since He is the head of the church, 
He's always working in his church. He's always working in his children. And he's going to ensure that the church will continue to shine his light. Why? Because the Lord is inspiring laborers for his harvest all the time. The work is going to keep on going, with or without me. With or without me, the work is going to keep on going. So, I have to ask myself again, do I want to join God's work? Do I feel as if I must work? Do I have a passion for making sure my family aligns with Christ's image, with Christ's teaching? Do I correct them with humility and love when necessary? The greatest example that we can give our children and the greatest value we can give our children is them seeing us laboring for God. Nothing will ever have a more profound effect on them and on their lives than them seeing their parents, their family members, laboring diligently for God's Word. It's going to be a seed that's that's planted in them that tomorrow is going to sprout and they're going to be tomorrow's saints. They're going to be the future saints. Do I burn with zeal and strive to bring back a fellow believer who may be straying or doubting, especially doubting the holy sacraments or doubting the mysteries? Do I burn in my heart for my brother and sister who may be wavering in their faith? Like our Lord said, or instead of him in the Psalms, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Are we like that? Do I feel compared to share the life-giving benefits of the holy sacraments with those Christians who go to church on Sunday and do not have holy sacraments, who do not have mysteries. There are many Christians who do not understand the value and the power of the holy sacraments. And we come in every Sunday and we enjoy this grace and we take it sometimes for granted. But there are those who if they just caught a glimpse of the glory that we see every Sunday, they will be transformed forever. Forever. So do I feel compared to share the life-giving benefits of the sacraments with other people? In conclusion, the work of Him that is calling us is a precious thing. Our Lord said in John 5.17, He says, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. It is a permanent gain. It is a permanent gain for me if I win a soul for heaven. And I will forever be richer if I give a person one better thought of God. If I bring to a darkened soul the light from heaven, if by my work I can redirect someone who is going down the path of destruction to heaven, then I have done some work worth doing. And this, of course, we have to do with all humility and love without drawing any attention to ourselves. May we be worthy to be fellow workers in God's house, giving ourselves fully to his holy work. To him be all the glory and honor. Amen.